welcome to another episode of the 10th and L podcast, brought to you by True North Church in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Philip Coleman, and I'm joined today on the podcast by Josiah Rice. Josiah, how are you today? I'm doing great, Philip. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it's a Tuesday afternoon, a little bit rainy here in Anchorage, uh, and really excited about where the conversation is going to go today. Really grateful that you were willing to join me. Um, if you're new to the podcast, I want to let you know that last week, episode nine, I had an opportunity to have a conversation with Tom Carlson, who is a member of our vision implementation team here at True North. And we talked about the process that that team is using, taking the new vision that we cast early in 2021 and beginning to make the rubber of that vision meet the road of our daily lived lives and the life of our church as an organization in the community. We discussed some early plans that have emerged from the first handful of vision implementation team forums that we've had live and in person. And we also talked about how you, the listener, the church member, can get involved. If you work at a ministry and you think the church should consider adopting that at a larger scale, if there's a ministry you've seen in another church that you think would be uh, worthwhile or useful for us to invest in or adopt here, or if you have a vision for us to start something new in your neighborhood, on your street, with your friend group that you believe would allow us to take good care of the people around us and ultimately advance the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing what we are going to call the way of Jesus. So I'll kind of let you know if you're listening what the destination is. We're going to work our way there slowly across the next 40 or so minutes. Um, But as we've prayed as elders and thought through the next chapter of life at True North, you know, we're working on multiplying our eldership. We're relaunching our deacons. We've worked through a lot of what we believe and why. We have a new vision now. And so we began asking ourselves, what direction should the preaching go? What direction should our life groups go? And we feel that the next step for us is going to be beginning to practice the way of Jesus. So not just knowing the word of God, that's important. I think many of our congregants have a grasp on that, that's good and right. But learning how to do what the Bible says and does, not just eliminating sin, but figuring out how to add practices to our lives, to fill our lives to the brim with the experiences of Jesus and intimacy with the Spirit. So we're going to talk about that. Josiah and I have had an opportunity to meet for... Uh, a number of weeks. Josiah's been a member of our church for a little while, serves in student ministry as well as kids and is a part of a life group. And uh, he and I have been working through some materials. I think you're going to hear a little more about that later on from him. But we've been working through some materials uh, just kind of as a guinea pig, almost as an alpha version of what the church may be doing in the next couple of years. And so I was excited to offer him the chance to join me on the podcast. It's going to be great for you guys to hear some testimony from him, but also for us to throw the ball around on what our experiences have been so far, how this has benefited us, and Lord willing, for you, the listener, what you have to look forward to in the next couple of years of the life of True North Church. So just Josiah, I want to pass you the ball and ask you if you would just share your story, give us some testimony. We'd love to hear a little bit about your church background, kinds of churches you've been a part of, positives, negatives, um, and then maybe just a little bit of experience at True North, the things that have been valuable to you, what drew you here originally, what you're excited about. Uh, very open-ended. Take it away. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> my pleasure. Uh, my pleasure, Philip. Yeah, so my uh, my background, um, I'm from uh, upstate New York. I grew up uh, in a Christian family with a Christian church. Um, my whole life, I uh, went to church my whole life. Uh, I was saved at a young age um, through uh, faithful parents, uh, through faithful Bible teaching. Um, I grew up in a, in a Baptist church, and so that has, um, for people that understand, that has some connotations. Um, it looks very different than, uh, than True North. Um, it was a traditional church, um, and those, those are fine and good, um, 
Uh, they're just different than what True North is. And so, uh, but I had a very good upbringing, is what the picture I want to paint there. I had a very good upbringing, had good parents, um, good church. Um, a lot of people plugged into me uh, all, all the years of my life. Um, I got to about, uh, about 18, 19. Uh, I can't remember if I said I was saved at 9 or 10, had a profession of faith at mm-hmm. 9 or 10. Um, I was 18, 19. I got to about 18, 19, and uh, I pretty much went my own way, uh, to put it, uh, put it pretty bluntly, um, went my own way. It was really my experience as a teenager growing up, I would say it was really just, I didn't have a good understanding of what the Bible taught, but I, but I read it and I prayed and I tried to do what the things I thought I was supposed to do, but that still just really boiled down to a white knuckle faith that, um, that there's something I'm supposed to become and I just got to figure out how to get there. And that was kind of my daily mm. internal battle. Um, but at 18, 19, I kind of just through uh, jobs and through, uh, the friends that I was making and just new outlets, I really just had an opportunity to kind of not even struggle anymore, but just go the way that my heart was bent on going. And so I kind of gave into that. And and bluntly, I don't have time to tease all these things out, but between addiction, some traumatic things that have happened, uh, like I said, maybe another maybe another podcast. Uh, but those things happened to me. And really about 22, 23, really came to the end of myself. Hmm. Um, that's, that's, I think that's the best way I've learned to put it. Um, just felt empty inside. Uh, didn't, didn't really have any purpose for life anymore. Um, I had you know, honestly, I'd experienced a lot of things that life could offer, but I uh, still really felt empty. And so at that point, um, I still was going to church. I wasn't plugged in in any way. Um, no real community outside of the Sunday service. Um, I really uh, reached out to my pastor, and he began to walk with me uh, through the faithfulness of some other men, too, in the church, um, just what it meant to be uh, follow God. And that was a really good experience, and I'm uh, thankful for those men that, that took the time to invest in me, and that really uh, did begin to draw me out of the the way I was going. Um, how I kind of ended up here uh, in Alaska was about 25. I uh, a couple of years went by and I decided to join the military, hmm. and that has uh, that brought me here. Um, when I joined the military, I was I would say I was in a very good place, and I really had good visions for uh, my life. I was excited about what God had for me. Um, but really shortly after joining the military, of course, we went into COVID not long. This was end of 2019 and then start of uh, 2020, uh, ended up just really hitting a shallow place, lost all my community, obviously mm-hmm. in a new place. And man, I just hit a really, um, really big low. Um, by the time I, uh, I came here, I've been here about a year now. So this is talking last year, uh, May, 2020, um, I still remember flying into Anchorage and really just a prayer in my heart at that point was this needs to be a new chapter. Like uh, I left home trying to turn a new chapter mm-hmm. and then I went to, I was in Texas for eight months and it just was a disaster. And I was like, Alaska cannot be a disaster again. And so that was really my prayer to God at that point was this, this needs to be a new chapter. And I, I was genuine about what I was searching for. I was genuinely repentant of, of the life that I kind of had fallen back into. Um, and so that leads me to True North is shortly after arriving in Anchorage, um, God brought True North my way. And uh, really, if I could summarize my experience here with True North over the past year, it's just been a community of grace, um, just learning to, to walk with people that I, uh, they've been authentic. Uh, but they, we don't worship that authenticity here, um, but it is something that is important. And we, we worship Jesus, and um, they just create an environment to, to not be... Uh, uh, to not be perfect, but yeah. Yeah. So can I ask a couple of clarifying questions? Is that Absolutely. Okay. okay. Um, first of all, how old are you now? I'm 27. 27. Okay. So a lot of this started to happen for you almost a decade ago. Yeah. It's been, it's been 10 years of 
to use your language, uh, things going poorly, not not going well, and then God drawing him drawing you back to Himself. Uh, I also want to give credit where it's due. You're a part of the Behringer Life Group. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So, like, I think like many of us at True North, we think of our life group almost before we think of the gathered church on a Sunday. So, uh, it should be an encouragement and a credit to those men and women that you are in community with each week that you've had that experience of of a community of grace here. I think that's great. Um, tell me a little bit, Josiah, if you don't mind, just to be a hair more specific. Um, some of the churches that you were a part of, maybe the church you grew up in, I know we're not trying to pick on anybody, but it would help, I think, for people to know what your prior experiences have been so that you can, uh, we can see how what you're experiencing now is, is different. We can compare kind of A to B. What would you say were some of the hallmarks or what was typical about the culture of the churches that you've experienced previously? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so it's interesting, when I was, uh, right before I joined the military, there's kind of two experiences going on. I was still very, uh, I still went to uh, the original Baptist church that I grew up in, um, but I also at the same time was uh, serving with some ministries with a more uh, a charismatic church. So there was, there's this interesting uh, relationship <laughs> going on. Yeah, interesting um, is one word yeah, to use yeah, for that I think that's the, best, the most, the best way I can put it right now. But what was interesting that, so growing up in a Baptist church, um, it was, we were, like I said, we we're very traditional. And so you just, um, the message is that without being said is kind of the, as long as you, you look, um, like you have it together, that's kind of like, that's very important. Hmm. Um, and I don't think anybody tries to, tries to do that, but that's what, with a poor understanding of the Bible, and, and I'm, I'm putting the blame on me is what I'm trying to do here is I'm okay. not trying to put it on other people, but without taking the Bible seriously, what I just, the message I received is as long as I look okay and I say I'm okay, um, and we, we avoid you know, the, there's a lot of emphasis on avoiding culture in the context of, you know, we didn't, contemporary music was something to be avoided. Mm. And then we didn't have, um, like I said, being Baptist, we didn't, we avoided the spirit. And I think that'll be a, a big part of the conversation to follow. And what I, what I mean by that is that the spirit helps save you and seal you and helps you interpret the Bible. But then um, we, we really, growing up, you wanted to be cautious of where the spirit led you if it wasn't a Bible verse. And so... Okay, so so the perspective on the Spirit of God, would you say it was fair to say that um, that maybe some of the, the, the predominant culture of the churches you'd been a part of before was that the Spirit of God was dangerous, maybe, or was too unknowable or too mysterious to really, for the average Christian to be able to just navigate a relationship of living in the spirit like there was there were kind of boundaries and rules given from leadership about well the spirit will only do a b and c and if you have a d or e or f experience then you're off the deep end you're not really a part of what we've got going on here absolutely very very much so i think that's a good way to put it um there was just really really limits and um and at the time that seemed that seemed right like I said, I bring up my relationship with my charismatic church right before I left. Um, <laughs> that my experience there started to show that, man. Often I said, often I think we we say that when people put an emphasis on the spirit, that they often sacrifice reading their Bibles. Yeah. And that just wasn't my experience. That the people mm. I was communicating with there, man, they knew their Bibles front and back, and they also were very much in in tune, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but would seem to be in tune with the Spirit, and they were sensitive to those things. And so that was probably my first introduction. I didn't really do much with it at that point, other than it kind of like, okay, I love these people that believe different than me. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first introduction. That, And then that really hasn't stopped since coming to True North, obviously being uh, non-denominational. I've gotten uh, both sides of that, and it, it's been wonderful for me. Um, and I think another thing that True North embraces is, is unity and emphasizes, and that's, uh, 
um, that's something that I think I missed out on with my past churches that we looked for people that kind of believed exactly like as us. And, and, and we were missing out in that, I think. Um, hmm. Yeah. I think it's easy to confuse unity with uniformity. We've talked about that before on this podcast and many times in elder meetings and with leadership at this church about how we encourage people to always be moving closer together without having to uh, do all of the same things all of the time in order to move closer together. It's hard to know the difference there, and it's hard to identify what is a disunifying thing. It always helps me as a pastor to remember that disunity is the topic of church discipline in the New Testament more than anything else by far. And so it seems very important to God that we do navigate those conversations and figure that out. Um, And I want to say one thing. I'm not, I don't want to, I think you'll think this is funny, Josiah, but technically, for the record, we are a Southern Baptist church. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, but we we feel, I know what you mean, our culture is non-denominational more so in the sense that we aren't trying to emulate the culture of any other church. We're really praying that God would build whatever culture we need to have to be relevant in this city without compromising the truth of the gospel or the primacy of scripture in our lives. Um, and we're going to get into that, I think, a little bit later uh, in this interview about how we maintain that primacy specifically as we begin to explore um, how the Spirit moves and works in our lives. Absolutely. So, uh, once again, with me being relatively new to True North Church, can you describe the most recent chapter of development at True North? Um, Where are we in that chapter? Okay. So I I kind of alluded to this earlier, um, but, you know, considering, Josiah, that you were, you've been around since maybe, would you say, the end of 2019? Is that fair? Uh, So about a year now. So May, so little little over a year. Okay. So 2020. Gotcha. Okay. So did, did you arrive during COVID? Yeah. Yep. Oh, man, I didn't remember that. Okay, yep. wow, goodness gracious. Okay, well, then this will be especially relevant to you and anybody else. A lot of our church are, are less than a couple of years uh, old as far as their time at True North. So if you don't know this, the history of True North is we are a decade old. We're nearly 11 years old. We'll be 11 years old um, in the middle of October. But developmentally, I would say we are probably, we will probably finish the benchmarks of year five of the average church plant at the end of this year. So uh, we're we're you could say we're six years behind. I don't think of it in terms of behind. We're not catching up to something, but but it's helpful to know, even though we are a little more of an established church, because of some of the circumstances. If you guys tuned in a couple of episodes ago and heard the interview with Mike Ottenweller, then you are aware of some of what went on in the early life of True North. So we had some goals. That's the only reason I tell you that is there were things that we've been working on up to this point that were important to the leadership and I believe have been really important to the members as well. I mean, all along the way, we've tried to include our life group leaders. Uh, We've tried to include deacons when it's been appropriate. Um, We've spoken to the church, tried to really broadcast coming changes before they arrive, never do anything behind closed doors or in a sneaky way. But specifically, some of those things that have happened, we've been working on elder multiplication, very challenging. Um, I'm going to use the word... Uh, dangerous. I don't mean dangerous in the sense that, like, um, that the church would be uh, at risk. Like, I don't think God would allow us to put an elder in place who would destroy the church of God. But we have a very specific culture at our church of grace, of uh, being somewhat free spirit in the sense that we're not beholden to any other church on how we do things or what we believe. But we're also very orthodox. We're very Bible based. We want to be very connected to the church historically, even if we disagree with some churches that are more modern right now. Um, and so finding an elder that's in that spot is tough because we also don't want to create an echo chamber. And so that just seems like a weird oxymoronic balance that we have to hold. But by God's grace, through much work and prayer and development, and again, the participation of the membership, we've identified uh, one candidate who, with whom we felt comfortable going public. And then there are 
Um, there's more than one other person kind of in the pipeline, if you will, where we're having discussions and praying and talking about what we do and how. Uh, we've tried to solidify and also multiply our life groups. When I arrived at True North in 2019, we had several life group leaders who had been here almost a decade with no break. Every Wednesday, 52 Wednesdays a year, they had had dinner at their house and hosted a life group. And they were faithful, but they were getting worn down badly. And so finding ways to alleviate the pressure on those people, also kind of changing the role that life group plays in the life of our church. Previously, it had it had carried the burdens of belonging and serving and growing, and we tried to take the service and the growth aspects and move them on uh, to other parts of church ministry. Surviving COVID, which is not a thing anybody planned for, but we just were kind of dog paddling to keep our heads above water. The relocation to this campus where we are now, developing both our kids and student ministries with some staff changes and some just additional resources and additional emphases. Uh, relaunching deacons, which we're doing now. We're trying to uh, take those who've been deacons and would like to continue to do that and put them through some training with a handful of deacon candidates, and the church will be hearing about that soon. We reforged our vision. We've seen this with the vision implementation team. We have some new covenant language coming that we'll hopefully begin using in December of this year. And then just a couple things that are on the horizon. We are still developing our membership process. We have a high view of membership at True North, and so uh, taking what's been all kind of crammed into a one-hour starting points event and trying to tease that out into a membership class, that's something that's coming where we're going to ask people to give us sort of a Friday night, Saturday morning in which we can really dig into the life of the church, the vision, what we believe, help people get assimilated quickly. And then we need a discipleship process. We've needed that for many years. We have a plan for one. It's just going to take time and resources to get it moving. We were almost there pre-COVID, and then that ship kind of went down when we all hit that collective iceberg of the coronavirus. So we're getting to the end of that. I would say that's been the chapter we've been in where we've had systems in place, but they haven't necessarily been functional like we want, or if they have been, they haven't been in sync with other systems. And so it's just been a lot of tinkering under the hood, getting things tuned and and really making sure that the, the machine runs well. And as we've done that, we've tried to decentralize power as much as we can so that if we were to lose any one elder tomorrow or you know whatever, that the church wouldn't just freeze and stop, but that we would have momentum based on our membership more than any one leader. Um, and as we've done that, we've clarified who we are. We've decided who we want to be. That's the vision. We've decided how to become that. That's what the vision team is doing. Structures, cultural norms that we need to go where we want to go. That's kind of the role of our elders. And I would say, from my perspective, we've gotten the answers to those categories from the Bible more than anything else. We haven't borrowed from another church. We haven't read some church growth book that's you know transformed our perspective. We've tried to return to Scripture, God's priorities for his church again and again, and it seems to have been very fruitful and like you've attested to already today. Uh, I'm also a member here at this church, obviously, and I love it. I've never been a part of a church that I'm more proud of and more excited to be a part of. So myself and the other elders believe that the next chapter at True North is going to be about formation. It's going to be about individual practices in the lives of believers. So Philip, uh, can you explain a little bit more what that what you mean by that? Yeah, okay. So to give you some perspective, Josiah, just like you and I meet um, once a week, once every two weeks, I meet with a lot of people, primarily young men. And most of these guys, they know their Bible relatively well. Unlike anywhere else I've ever lived, I know so many millennial young men who have gotten serious about knowing God's word, understanding context. There are many men in the life of our church, and this has always been true as long as I've been here, who've been um, just a little unsure, but maybe considering that they're being called to ministry, men who want to be teaching, who want to be leading. Um, and so what I have learned is that most of these guys totally understand how to read the Bible, maybe even how to get some insight into it via you know great preachers or teachers online or doing Bible studies with groups. 
But most people I know, and this is men and women both, don't really know how to live the Bible. And I think there's a reason for this. I think that we who make disciples, we who are in church leadership, are responsible for discipling people away from sin, which is good. We should do that. So much of Jesus' teaching is don't treat each other this way. Don't allow these things to worm their way into your heart or your mind. Don't grow to be like this. But what we don't talk that much about, in my experience, is how following Jesus actually adds things to your life. And not just love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I'm not saying the the more ethereal um, spiritual gifts that God can give to those of us, the fruits that those gifts can bear. What I mean is actual practices, like hands and feet, where do you go, what do you do to fill your day in order to stay away from sin, in order to stay near to God, which is a way better objective than just keeping your hands clean, is trying to follow Jesus and do what he says. Uh, and so I, I don't know that we are great at filling the voids that 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 pursuit of holiness leaves in our practices in our habits. And so this is really kind of the transition into what I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about, which is some of those practices. You and I had a conversation, oh, probably a month and a half to two months ago uh, at the Moose's Tooth. We had lunch and um, I knew that you were interested in kind of doing some apprenticeship mentoring stuff with me. And I was excited to do that with you, but I thought I wanted there to be a focus to our time. And I knew at that point that it was possible that this might be the next step of the life of our church. And so I asked you if you would be willing to go with me on this journey, to be a guinea pig with me along the way, to read a couple of these books that I think are great. I love their authors, but some people in conservative Christianity sometimes get a little bit spooked out about their mysticism or whatever. And so I want to be careful. I want to remain orthodox. I do not believe that there is any problem in the world that needs a new answer. I truly believe Jesus and the gospel are the solution to every problem. I believe the Bible is perfect and inerrant and strong. I believe it does what it does well, and it's useful and helpful for us. But sometimes we don't read it literally. We just read it figuratively and we think that it's supposed to make us feel a certain way or that we're just supposed to have our minds changed and then our bodies will follow. The pursuit of practice, the pursuit of formation has to do with putting our hands on things, moving our bodies. And I know that sounds really kooky how I'm saying it. I'm being vague on purpose, but I want Josiah to throw the ball back to you. You have done this with me for a couple of weeks. What is your experience with trying to follow Jesus with your life, your whole life, and how has your, what we might call your initial exploration of the spiritual disciplines, some people would just call that spiritual formation, how has that met a need in your walk with Jesus? I want to hear from you how this has been good for you, if it's been positive, and if it hasn't, and you need to tell me that on this podcast, <laughs> go ahead. I don't think that's absolutely. the case, uh, but I want to hear from you. What's this done for you so far? No, absolutely. So I think for me to, once again, to paint a picture, um, of kind of how I arrived here, that there was a there was a need going on. Like I said, you you kind of alluded to the fact that this didn't meet a need, but what was that need? So when I came here last year and I felt this kind of emptiness, and but it, but there was a genuine desire to do what was right. I was kind of had that conflicting going on last year. Coming to True North, that kind of gave me that foundation, and I had a community again. But I still was kind of like, how do I create a foundation where I don't keep going back into these things that, that I, I don't want to do. You go back to Paul. I, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. And so kind of that was that tension I was in last year. Um, so really I had to come to grips with what's I, my prayer was, God, can you please simplify this for me? I don't, I don't understand the gospel. I read the Bible. I, I see the, you know, Philip already said the fruit, name the fruits of the Spirit. I see those things. But I, yeah, I can't do those. Why? Why am I not doing those things? I had had victory in some bigger areas of life through, I think, like I said, the the discipleship that happened back home. But there was still a multitude of these little things in my life that 
that were ruling my life that I, I couldn't figure out how to, to navigate, to, to overcome. They just were there. And, um, and so that really, that need really pushed me into pressing into God and going, okay, God, how, how are we going to navigate these things? You say that, um, I think of, uh, um, I think of like John 15, where he says, abide in me and I abide in you. And then we, we know that that will bear fruit. He says, I'll bear fruit, that we'll find life in that, that we'll have joy in that. Um, I truly believe those things, but yet I didn't see those things playing out in my life. So I, I knew something was disconnected in in my walk with God, that something wasn't quite landing in my heart. And so I, I began to walk through that. And I think um, um, even before meeting with Philip, some things were connecting, some dots were connecting. Um, but this is really uh, walking through um, the spiritual formation in the process has really started to solidify some things. Um, but once again, one thing I think that's clear, uh, that has been clarified or, um, been clarified in this process is that, um, you need to consider what your actually your desire is. And I would say up until last year, my desire was to change and that's not necessarily bad, but what God kind of spoke to me, I think not so audibly or anything was that my desire needed to be for him. That, that change is good, mm-hmm. but the change will, will come from a desire from him. And so um, that's kind of the process that I've been on now. And so that's kind of, I think, a good in- introduction is, is I realized that, okay, it's a good thing to desire, desire change, but the change will come as an outflow of my relationship with God. And so how does spiritual formation play into that? Well, I think I'm not quite familiar or not quite sure where this quote came from, but, uh, but spiritual formation is the way in which I keep God before me. Mm-hmm. Spiritual formation is the way in which I keep God before me. And so that's really um, what I started to do is we talk about that, um, that abiding, um, mm-hmm. that these are the practices that are going to keep God before me. Um, and, wh- and why is that important? Another verse that's kind of been uh, impactful to me throughout the last months is just Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, one, one thing I'll shed light on, I guess, in my, my own life is like coming out of addictions, um, you can remove the addiction, but if you never fill it with anything else, you, there's a, that same addiction or another addiction is going to come right back. And so this taste and seeing and, and your experience and your walk with God needs to be there um, and so these spiritual formations cultivate that. Um, I think the book, uh, the book kind of paints an illustration of what's, what's the spiritual disciplines or the spiritual formation, what does that do in our lives? And it paints the picture of a, uh, he, he gives the illustration of a farmer and the seed. And he says, this is the farmer. He takes, he, he prepares the ground. He plants the seed. He adds water. He adds, um, he adds fertilizer. He cultivates it. He pulls the weeds from it. But ultimately, if you think about it, the farmer can't make the seed grow. He, he's, he's helpless to make the seed grow. It's the relationship between the ground and the seed that's actually growing. His responsibility falls in the environment he creates for the mm-hmm. seed. And so that's what the spiritual formation is, and that's what, that's what my realization has been, that I'm, I'm not going back to my desire just solely to change, that I, I wanted to become a Christian on the outside, and God kind of transformed my desire. No, your desire needs to be for me, and then this is... Once again, that um, creating that environment where God can change us. Yeah, and I, just to clarify, Josiah, the book that you're talking about is The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Uh, there's really a, maybe two um, classics in this category. Uh, Richard Foster's book is, is a few years old. I think it's 30 or 40 years old. Um, and then there's a more modern book by Don Whitney, which is similar, walks through the same kinds of ideas. Um, Josiah and I decided to start with Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, which again is just one of probably 10 to 25 
classic books on spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines, choosing to work on living a life that looks like Christ, that does what Christ did. Um, and I think it's interesting that you, you know, you talk about needing to create the environment. This is a principle that most of us have embraced who are parents already. I know you're not yet, Josiah, but the idea that when it comes to the salvation of our child, ultimately we can't make our kids follow Jesus. Are the odds higher that they will because they were born in our home? And I hope so. I hope that my daughter sees that all the time in me and wants it. It's appealing to her. When I fail, I'm forgiven. When I'm, when I'm good, it's because I'm, I'm connected to Christ. I'm patient. I'm kind. Um, but I think that's, I want to connect the dots there on that principle because I think that we all know what it's like to sort of stack kindling around the hearts of our kids and hope that Christ will spark it and bring it to, to, to flame and bring the kids to life. Uh, it's the same idea that you're talking about, right? We want to build an environment in our own lives where uh, when the Spirit of God is ready to move and work and grow us, we are in a position where we go, yes, I want that. I'm not working against it. I'm not scared of it. I'm not going to try to stop it. I'm going to do everything I can to be in step and to contribute my momentum, which is minimal, to the Spirit's momentum, which can actually produce real and significant change. Was there anything else that you were going to say about kind of that the initial journey through the first parts of this? Yeah, um, not too much more on it, I guess, other than just, um, uh, you know, some of these things are tangible, the, the uh, meditation, uh, prayer, fasting. Those are thing, kind of the things we're going to start walking through. Um, we have kind of started on the meditation. Yeah. And just kind of to reiterate that, that um, once again, we're not turning to these things because uh, we think that they're um, they're an end in of themselves. But these are the the ways in which uh, the Spirit can work in us, and and we we place ourselves at the feet of Jesus to to experience Him and to um, see how good He is. Like I said, I, I I'm, it's tough for me to depart from that taste and see that the Lord is good. That that is the that is the um, desire of my heart. That in these things, as I meditate, as I pray, as I um, walk with God, that he stirs his affections for me, in, in me, and, um, and it, it's a joy to be obedient. I truly believe that, and um, I encourage people that that's, that's been my experience in the first, um, or last couple months, or first couple weeks of this, trying this, is that these things are stirring that joy, um, that joyful obedience in me, and, and, you know, I don't think it has to be said, but I'll say it anyways, that I'm definitely doing this imperfectly. If anybody knows me you know, and sees me, I'm doing this imperfectly. Um, but that's one of, also a wonderful thing about True North and, and being servants of, of God is that uh, we do do this in his grace and that we do it imperfectly. But he has created a space for us to do that, and that's a joy. Yeah, and I wanted to comment a little bit. You know, In Richard Foster's book, the very first discipline he introduces is meditation and, and Josiah and I have decided to work chronologically through his book in the order that he presents the disciplines, though they're not really, it doesn't matter where you start. So we've worked on meditation a little bit. Christian meditation obviously is not just emptying myself like Eastern meditation is. It's trying to fill myself with thoughts and ideas and concepts that stem from who Jesus is and what he taught and what he believes. And the second concept we've been working on is prayer. And so I just, just to give you guys kind of a, a taste of where we're headed... Culturally, this is my perspective. I think that our society is frantic. I think that we are erratic. We are violent in many ways. Um, I think that we are extreme. We are entrenched in our opinions. We're, we're just in a hurry all the time. And so when we think about prayer and we consider prayer as a discipline, I think it sounds exhausting to us because what we think it's going to feel like is more hurried, panicked, exhausted, violent, entrenched opinion sharing. And that's not the case. I do think that our prayer lives are incredibly impacted by the society that we're in. 
I think that most of us pray very hurried prayers. I think we pray what I would call ragdoll prayers. We just pray like we're being shaken violently. We're just screaming out, would anybody help me with anything, please? And that's in part because we haven't cultivated the kinds of lives where we can generate or, and protect real silence or or aloneness, solitude. Um, I think that the violent political narratives in our country, the violence of our culture, the violence of our media, everything, it's so extreme that we become extreme. We pray extreme prayers. We say to God, heal this person or you're not real. We say to God, give me the money I need to pay my bills or you're not real. We tend to communicate in ultimatums, and that's how you talk to your political opponents. It's not the way you talk to your family. And so what Josiah is alluding to, what we're hoping will happen is, again, not that we're going to move away from Scripture at all. We're not going to just become sort of like this new monastery in Anchorage where you just come and meditate and your life gets better and you float off the ground because Jesus loves you. None of that's going to happen. But we do believe that cooked into the instructions Jesus gives is the actual life that he lived. If he is our rabbi, then he's more than just our teacher, and sometimes we only treat him like he's our teacher. The one time I'm aware of when he was approached and called teacher in John 3, he went out of his way to correct Nicodemus. He told him, no, you don't understand. I'm not just here to affect the physical, and we treat him that way. He said, I'm here to affect the spiritual, and there are unseen realities that I can't share with you because you've not even accepted that I can affect the physical, yet your faith is so small. Um, So, Josiah, for the sake of time, I think we need to jump ahead a little bit um, from what we kind of discussed in advance um, if it's if you're comfortable with it, I want to talk a little bit about why, um, h- how we can keep our feet grounded. Is that something that you think we could move into discussing a little bit? How how can we as a church, we have a high view of Scripture, we're grounded with logical teaching. How do we add spiritual habits without getting lost in mysticism? I'll, I'll throw a little bit of an answer at this and see if it sticks and then see if you have any more comments. But I think it's important to realize when it comes to spiritual disciplines, though some in more conservative wings of modern Christianity would I would label these things as mystic or maybe even off the deep end a little bit, um, these are actually historical and orthodox practices. We're not just trying to be like we're living on the West Coast, you know, kind of wild and free and connected to nature in a way that's not good. These practices come straight from Jesus. And that means that these practices actually fit the vision of our church perfectly. If it's all about Jesus, then my belonging, my becoming, my beholding, the way that I share and show and shape, these are not things I need to reinvent on my own based on teaching passages in the Bible about how I'm supposed to live my life. I should first model myself after the way that Jesus does those things. Okay, oftentimes when the Apostle Paul is teaching, he's speaking to a corporate gathered body. We are a local church, so he does, his teaching does apply to us. But if we try to take those corporate instructions and white-knuckle them into our lives personally, I think we're in danger of disunifying instead of unifying. Instead of working through those broad corporate concepts together, we try to make them individual, and we just skip over all of the instruction that comes from Jesus' life that's unspoken. Where did he go? How did he spend his time? Who was he with? Where did he eat? What did he wear? These things speak to us about what he values, what's important to him, and how we can live a life that's similar to his. I believe that many of us are starving for these disciplines. I think we've got so much knowledge, and we know how to get more knowledge, and so we just keep pouring more and more and more knowledge over our heads, and it's almost like uh, waterboarding with knowledge. I mean, it's just a slow drip where we can't get our breath because we always are learning more, but we're never really changing. It's what you were talking about. Um, and I think ultimately that that comes from the root that our understanding of discipleship is is head only, that we talk about mind and body and soul and how we can be those things, but what we're doing is we're overeating on the knowledge part of the buffet and our, we're over flooding our minds with ideas 
while we're really starving ourselves of experience and of practice. Um, and so, so church, this is where we're going next. We're headed here next in the life of the church. Uh, we'll probably finish the book of Exodus between quarter one and quarter two in 2022. I'm going to do a short sermon series after that called The Fear of Weird that I'm really excited about. I think that's the number one reason that uh, people under 35 don't live their Christianity publicly. I don't think we're really scared of being martyrs. I don't think we're really scared of... Um, of being ineffective or even being rejected. I think we're scared to death of being weirdos, of getting bullied by the people around us because we look dumb. And so I'm going to just try to get into that. I think the Bible speaks to that. And then after that, we're going to begin a series that we're going to call The Way. And the approach we're going to take is we're going to try to work our way through a gospel book of the New Testament, probably take between four and six weeks chronologically in that book, beginning in verse one of chapter one, the same way that we've done Exodus and then take a break after six weeks, pick up a practice, and preach through that for as long as it takes. So probably, depending on the practice, between three and eight weeks. As soon as that time is done, we'll go right back to that same gospel book that we were in. Maybe it's Mark or Matthew or Luke or John. We'll keep preaching chronologically, verse by verse, for six or eight weeks, and then we'll do another practice. And that'll be our rhythm, and it's possible—I hope this doesn't intimidate anybody. I think this is incredibly exciting— it's possible this could take us between three and five years to get all the way through. I mean, we could, each of the stories of the gospel covers a, a period of time of about three years in the life of Jesus' life, and we might move through it chronologically at a similar pace, which I think could be really interesting and insightful. I want to be clear to you, church, if you're listening, the vision of our church remains. We're not changing that. The structure of our church remains corporately. This is not an overhaul. I don't think that this is going to make our Sunday mornings feel significantly different at all. My hope for you is that individually it will be transformative in your life. And bonus for you here, because I know Jesus cares about this, I think walking through these practices will be an incredibly effective tool for sharing your faith in a super spiritual yet postmodern world. What cooler experience than to invite the person at your office not to have to sit over coffee with you and listen to you hit them with Bible verses. That might work. That might be okay. Do that too. But what if your life group was going to get together and walk a labyrinth at the Episcopalian Church? You probably don't even know what that is. Look that up. Look up Christian Labyrinth on your phone. You're listening to this on some device. Check it out. A highly orthodox historical practice that's designed to calm you down, slow your internal pace, focus you on Jesus, and then leave you with peace that you didn't have before. What better way is there than to bring somebody along and go, look, just try this weird kooky thing with me. I also don't know what I'm doing. This could be great for both of us. I think that would be really fun. And oftentimes in the New Testament, that's the way people came to Jesus. They actually followed him with their steps before their hearts and minds were convinced. And we oftentimes don't want anybody to take any steps of obedience until they've given us the verbal affirmation that they follow Christ. I'm not saying that's wrong, but it certainly isn't the only way the New Testament presents discipleship. Um, I'll tell you, the vision implementation team keeps coming back to the need for these kind of spiritual practices. The elders are excited about this. We were considering this and a couple of other kind of forks in the road of where we go next, and, and we unanimously felt that this is the next thing that we need to do collectively. Several of our members are already reading books and processing these things, and frankly, the world needs to see this in us. The church needs to remember these things that we've lost, and I believe we have an opportunity to model that in our city, and honestly, probably on a much larger stage if we can get this right. So... Josiah, as we land the plane, man, any closing thoughts you have about any of those things? Um, and then specifically, what makes you hopeful? Why six to eight weeks into this process are you still excited about it? And what are you looking forward to to about this process with the rest of the church? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I guess the one thing that's just important for me is, is we close. And I think for, um, for True North to hear is that um, 
when thinking about these things, I think I think Philip alluded to it that they can seem burdensome. As you look at these, you're like, oh, this is just more to add to my life. But what to realize is that this is a this is um, God's way for for inward transformation. That we start with the inward, and that begins to affect everything on the outside That's right. too. That's right. And um, the the other thing I kind of think of is that uh, uh, Matthew 11, where Jesus is, is speaking of his, his yoke is light and easy, and I'm I'm paraphrasing here, and and that you'll find rest. and And for the majority mm-hmm. of my walk with God, um, it hasn't been that it hasn't been that descript- I wouldn't describe it that way, but yet. Now walking through these, um, once again, these aren't commands, but this is an invitation to rest. And that's such a, um, I, I know for myself, and I believe probably for so many others, that that is, um, that is such a um, thing to be desired right now, rest. And we're, we're exhausted, we're anxious, and, and this is just a different way. God, God is calling us into a different way. Jesus is calling into a, a different way. And, and to not view these as, as more commands for us to do, but this is an invitation to a, a different and better way that, that the lover of your soul, the creator of the universe is calling us into. And um, it it's a beautiful thing, and I, I'm experiencing it, and I'm seeing it. And, uh, man, I think the church should be excited about this, that, that we can begin to um, transform our lives through these practices and through the work of the Holy Spirit um, can begin to to calm ourselves in the midst of a, a crazy and um, really chaotic world. They, they, we believe the God we serve is big enough to do that within us. Um, it's not something we're going to find within ourselves, but we believe as we press into him and we see how good he is to us that um, he'll do that in us, and, and that's exciting to me. Yeah, very good. Well, we're about out of time today. Josiah, I appreciate you being willing to do this with me uh, today. It's been a lot of fun to have you on. Uh, Church, I think I misspoke at the end of episode 9. I might have said this to you. I may not have. I can't remember, but I can tell you with confidence that next week on episode 11 of the podcast, um, I'll be talking to you. It'll just be me, a solo episode like the Q&A episode that we did a few weeks ago. Um, I'm going to try to answer the question for you. What is the Southern Baptist Convention and why should you care? Maybe you're like my good friend Josiah here, who up until a few minutes ago would have said that this is a great (laughs) non-denominational church that I finally found my way into. And and by choice, we are actually affiliated with a massive network of churches that happens to be uh, headquartered in the south, the southern part of the United States. That's part of where the name comes from. But we're going to get all into the weeds on what it is, why is it positive, why are your elders glad to participate, why do we send some of our money to this organization. Um, you know, As always, it, you can submit any questions you may have, any concerns, ideas uh, for podcast episodes to info, I-N-F-O, at truenorthalaska.com. If you'll include in the subject line podcast questions, that will allow us to get to your questions quite a bit sooner than if you don't. Church, we love you, we are here for you, and we hope that this has been an encouragement. We'll see you soon. <laughs>